You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Hi, folks, and welcome to episode 79 of the Let's Talk Apple podcast. This is the show for March 2020, and I'm your host, Bart Bouchox. Um, this show is a little different. Um, I've managed to scrape together a panel of one, but of course, it's not about quantity. It's about quality. So I just want to say thank you very much to Simon Purnell from the Essential Apple podcast for joining me to digest the March Apple news. Thank you, Simon. Well, no problem, Bart. Um, I have to admit, originally, because I've been on quite a lot and this is, you know, relatively late in the evening, I was mm. going to pass. But um, I have to admit, as I saw, nobody else appeared to be available. I thought, well, you know, it's not going to not going to break my back to help Bart out on this one. And I have to say uh, the show notes are. Very, very long. Voluminous. Well, <laughs> I my plan is to deal with the elephant in the room promptly and then set the pachyderm aside and talk about the fun stuff. So Okay, no I, problem. I've decided to use the term follow-up, <laughs> and under that term I have decided to include <laughs> COVID-19, because, well, we talked about it last month, so it is follow-up. So I think the first thing to do is just I'm going to quickly run through all the news stories, and then we'll circle back on the few that both of us think are worthy of deeper dives into. I think really it just is just a case of getting the pattern, right? The whole point of the show is we look at the forest, not the trees. Well, this is a pretty densely packed forest. So we start off with um, LG InnoTech supplier, uh, supplier of iPhone cameras closes its factories after coronavirus case. Apple sends care packages to employees stranded in China's uh, Wenzhou City and Hubei Province. Uh, Foxconn expects to have Chinese factories back to normal this month. Coronavirus forces Apple to restrict employee travel to Italy and Korea. Apple forced to close stores in Bergamo, Italy. Santa Clara County asks Apple and others to cancel events. Apple is rejecting coronavirus apps that are not from health organizations. Thank you. Uh, The App Store is fast-tracking approval of coronavirus apps from reputable sources. Thank you. Coronavirus forces cancellation of all today at Apple sessions in Italy. Apple encourages employees to work from home. All Chinese Apple stores are now open. So immediately you're seeing a contrast here, right? All the news coming out of not China is getting progressively worse. And all the news out of China is positive, which is interesting. Uh, Apple suspends filming of all Apple TV Plus projects. Apple announces WWDC 2020 and it's going to be all online. Unfortunately, AltCov 2020 is not going to be at all. It has been cancelled. Apple to close all retail stores until March 27th, followed very shortly by Apple now saying stores are closed until further notice. And links in the show notes to Apple's FAQ on their store closures. Uh, While they did close their stores, some remained open, but only for in-store pickup. Um, Apple have extended the returns period. So basically... If you bought something and you you would have been eligible to return it during the COVID shutdown, basically time is on pause until the shutdown unshuts down and then you get to have 14 days from whenever they reopen the stores to bring back whatever it is you wanted to bring back, which is very good of them. Uh, Apple Card customers can skip their March payments interest-free because of coronavirus. And actually, there's another story way down the list that says they've done the same for April. Um... 
Apple updates its remote learning guide for schools. Uh, Apple releases new videos to help educators teach students from home. And Apple are offering free online learning consultations to US teachers. Apple are enforcing purchase limits on uh, worldwide, briefly. Uh, you can buy, and then that's followed almost immediately by, you can buy as many items as you want on Apple stores outside of China. Um, Apple have released a bunch of COVID-19 content, sort of very closely one after the other. And I might update my show notes later to pull a few more stories into this. Um, so Apple updates the podcast app with coronavirus content from trusted sources. Siri is updated to be able to answer coronavirus questions. They basically give you a coronavirus screening. Oprah Winfrey has uh, launched a COVID-19 interview series on Apple TV+. Apple has launched a COVID-19 screening tool, both a website and an app. And uh, there's coronavirus advice added to the UK App Store. And we're actually going to meet a few other uh, media stories later down the list. I'll reorganize the show notes later. Apple is donating 2 million masks to help fight coronavirus pandemic. Tim Cook announced Apple is donating 10 million masks to fight COVID-19, so from 2 to 10 in a few days. Uh, 100,000 of Apple's N95 masks have landed in Alabama. Um, Apple Books gives out free books and audiobooks. Apple is no longer a trillion-dollar company thanks to the coronavirus. Oh, well. Uh, Apple TV, Apple TV Plus is throttling video streaming to help reduce the strain on European broadband. Uh, panic over. Foxconn says it now has enough workers to deal with iPhone 12 demand. Apple's Beats 1 broadcasting remotely. Apple plans to begin reopening its retail stores in the first half of April. Hmm. We shall see about that. Mm, um, we shall see. Yeah. iPhone factories in India grind to a halt thanks to coronavirus lockdown. Apple Music launches Come Together collection of uplifting music. Apple supplier Foxconn records third consecutive fall in yearly profits. Uh, Russia postponing its introduction of the rules that would have forced apps to be state approved, which is nice. Uh, Apple Store employees uh, are asked to take on tech support roles. So basically the people who can't work in the closed Apple stores are being allowed to do tech support work from home, which is an interesting idea. Apple extends the App Store deadlines, like when you have to have sign-in with Apple support in your apps. Apple to pay contract workers previously told they'd lose their work, so they're janitors and stuff in the spaceship. Apple doubles China donation to fight in the fight against COVID-19. Apple Podcasts add COVID-19 essential listening section. That's another one of those media stories. Uh, Apple and Goldman Sachs are allowing April, so we said that already. Apple offering subsidies to repair uh, partners who practice social distancing. And uh, New York Governor Cuomo thanks Apple for donating two, almost 2 million masks. So there's more of those masks. And Apple featuring government corona guidance on its website homepage in the UK and France. And uh, second to finally, Apple, Leonardo DiCaprio and Lorraine Powell Jobs launch America F America's Food Fund to help keep people fed during this crisis. And then the last thing I have in the show notes is not a news piece. It is an opinion piece. It just happens to be a well-written one that I thought was worth linking to. Innovation, kindness, persistence how Apple is setting an example in the darkest of times. And that seems like a pretty good summing up of all that news I just rattled through. So, uh, uh, yes, anything there strike you as, you know, big picture wise, whatever, catch your eye? Uh, no, most of them, I'm sure most of our listeners have, have probably read or are familiar with. Um, there are two points that, uh, that sprung to my mind. Um, when Apple first donated a load of um, N95 masks, mm. um, 
I did see some people on, you know, online saying how come, you know, Apple are hoarding up, you know, 2 million N95 masks or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Um, that uh, came to light that um, because of the California wildfires, yeah. um, company companies like Apple had been um, told to stockpile masks for their workers uh, because of the air pollution. Yes, because an um, N95... So an N95 isn't a med- – I mean, it is used in a medical setting, obviously, uh, but it's basically – it's to do with the size of the mesh, um, and that same size mesh that keeps viruses out also keeps smoke particles out and actually also keeps out car- you know a bunch of the nasty stuff in car exhausts. So a lot of cycling masks are actually N95 masks to keep the pollution, the, 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 the micro particles out of your lungs. Um, and yeah, so uh, Apple had those masks for the purpose of smoke, but now they're coming in darn useful for the purpose of evil virus. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, that was the first one. Um, so Apple's initial, uh, gift of, mm. uh, masks apparently came from their stockpile that the, uh, as far as I understand, the, uh, state government had told them to, uh, to in build up California, because of the yeah. California wildfires. So they had those on hand and then the later, um, you know, upping it to 10 million or whatever was Apple actually commissioning masks to be made probably in China or or somewhere. Um, I'm not sure of the details, but so basically they said, well, we've got 2 million, you know, in stock. Sitting about, yeah. Let's let's issue those to people in need, you know, I I guess, uh, you know, medical workers or whatever. And then... They commissioned another eight million or ten million or whatever it was to be uh, manufactured. Um, the other one, which I happen to know something about, which is the um, uh, Apple are uh, paying premiums to um, the repaired. Um, yeah, repair people who who practice social distancing. Yeah. Um, now, uh, Steve, um, who is on Carl Madden's show, uh, the Mac and Forth show, mm-hmm. uh, he he works uh, in a you know Apple approved repair um, third party company, um, yeah. a repair an, an Apple shop, and he said on um, on Carl's show that Apple uh, were trying to support them by. Um, can basically paying them the full premium on repairs um regardless because apparently normally you know there's a there's a you do a repair for apple say you replace a logic board he mm. says there's there's um you know obviously you get the logic board from apple you put it in you charge the customer apple give you x amount but mm. there's there are premiums that they pay on top of that like you know, getting it done inside two days, um, the number of parts that you have to request, um, the, the number of hours that you log and, and whatnot. And in order to support shops, apparently, according to Steve, who would know because that's what he does, um, Apple have basically offered third-party repairers uh, the full premium on repair all. jobs, all, all jobs, regardless, basically. Brilliant. It's just... Um, you know, we because of social distancing and whatnot, a lot of people are not going to be coming in. Your your you know your workload is going to do, go down. Your income is going to go down. So the best we can do is basically at least pay you the maximum per repair 
that we that we uh, that we pay, and we won't be saying, "Oh, you know, it took you more than three days, so you you only get the minimum payment." Uh, yeah. That's just something I heard from Steve. Um, well, other than that, you know. Uh, again, it all seems to be all the stories you read seem to be Apple doing the right thing. They're paying janitors who've been laid off. They've promised all their shop staff, you know, full pay and, and so on and so yeah, forth. Yeah, they've been good employers. Um, they seem to be pretty good social uh, corporate citizens as well, providing a lot of help in the various countries they're involved, you know, where they have a presence. Uh, but they're also being kind of proactive in their role as gatekeeper, which sort of strikes me as important. You know, the fact that they're making sure that their app store is not used to send out misinformation, that they're proactively highlighting the high quality information in, you know, in podcasts, in apps. That's that's all very positive. And the, the fact that they're working with schools, because schools are really suffering with suddenly, unexpectedly, unplanetly having to become remote learning institutions. That's... I mean, yeah, technology yeah, makes it possible, but Jesus, it's hard to turn on a dime. Like, I mean, I, I work in the education <laughs> sector. I'm seeing this firsthand. It's hard to turn on a dime. I mean, obviously, uh, Donny, Donny Yankelo, who who sometimes comes on my show, he's a teacher. I mean, obviously, uh, all of his school districts have been shut down. They've just been told that's been extended um, possibly into the middle of May. Yeah, we our our university took a very sensible approach. Uh, we are not coming back this semester. No, um, it just it makes might... planning so much easier. It's like that's it. You know, the the earliest we're going to see students again is in September. Well, the, yeah, I mean, my daughter has been told. Um, she, obviously, she's you know everybody in the UK, all schools basically shut. Um, she's fifteen, so she's not. Luckily, not in the GCSE year at the moment, but she's um, she's doing learning from home. She's just been told. Um, obviously, it's still by the UK government until further notice. Um, yeah. She just received uh, an email from her school saying, you will now get three weeks off because we're extending the Easter holiday by a week which no doubt gives everybody a bit of a breather. Um, well, for us, the timing was great because midterm came just as we were all sent home. And so our lecturers had a week to prepare for remote teaching, which I guess is what yeah. they bought themselves by extending the holiday by a week. Um, uh, I mean, I guess, I guess my, you know, my daughter's school, our local school district are doing the same. Obviously, they were forced to do two weeks at no notice. Yes. Um, and have extended the, the, the Easter holiday by a week, no doubt, to give the schools and, and the breather, teachers yeah. a, chance to, <laughs> a chance to figure out how they're going to cover what could be, you know, another six to 12 weeks yeah. um, of students at home. Yeah. Um, so any resources Apple make available for, for teachers and stuff is all great. Um, yep. And... Did you mention it in there? Apple are giving away a load of books, aren't they? Audio books and um, I, you know, it's in the show notes, books. but I may have skipped over actually saying it out loud now that you mention it. But yes, Apple I, gives out free books and audio books. Is 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 the story? I, I, no, there. I think I think you did mention it, but yes, it's worth mentioning, isn't it? That um, you know, if you <laughs> yeah, and the, time on your hands. Go go check the iBook store. There are audio books and books to be had for for free. Yeah, and I have to say, something that's been keeping me sane while working at home is Apple Music playlists, because <clears throat> it takes energy 
to proactively decide what to listen to. If someone with some skill has curated a good playlist, that just involves turn brain off, click playlist, continue to work. And so the the come together uplifting music playlist, I'm really happy that Apple have done that. Um, really, Apple Music has been keeping me quite, you know, well, as close to sane as I can manage to be in these times. Um, <laughs> I, I do think we need to uh, spin around to the biggest story in that big list, um, which is Dub Dub. Um, so no physical Worldwide Developers Conference is going to be an entirely online affair. I guess that means... I mean, arguably, it's been a lot online already, right? All the sessions have been online and stuff. Um, I, I mean, we talked about this. You know, I, I mean, I think pretty much every Apple-focused uh, podcast mentioned this long before it uh, actually happened. Yeah, it was obvious and, it was either going to not happen or going to have to be digital, and the thoughts of it not happening seemed very unlikely. Exactly. And... Uh, the general consensus in everybody I've listened to, everybody I've spoken to, was uh, even before it happened that uh, it's pretty likely that, like all big tech conferences, a large proportion of it is actually online. I mean, let's face it, WWDC, you have to enter a lottery in order to pay quite a lot of money to go. Yeah. Um, uh, and yeah. Um, Wei Han, who... You know, who's a, well, an iOS developer has said to us before, it, it's all online anyway, because otherwise only about 5,000 developers would get to hear what Apple have to say. So, yeah, although obviously it's a it's a bit of a PR blow. And, um, well, not just probably... a PR blow, though, because if you do win the lotto, like if, if you do win the lottery to get to go, you do get more than just the sessions, right? The sessions are easy to virtualize. You just stick a camera. You just, I say just, you stick a camera up, you do a bit of editing, you pop it online. That's fairly straightforward in this day and age. What you can't quite replicate is the random bumping into people in the corridor effect, which can be extremely powerful. You get a whole bunch of brains together. And also the sessions where the people Apple send to WWDC are the actual engineers writing the APIs that the developers are struggling to use. And the fact that you can book time with the actual developers of, you know, core audio or wherever it is you need to use. Now, I guess you could do that with one-on-one mess- uh, iMessage sessions or something, FaceTime sessions or something. So maybe maybe Apple will replicate those aspects of the conference digitally too. That's TBC. Um, but, it, I mean, it is still, it's not the same, but it's it's a lot, it's an awful lot better than no WWDC. Well, it is. And, you know, um, most of the people I've spoken to said much the same thing that, relatively speaking, and whilst I 100% agree with what you said there, but most people have agreed that, you know, things like WWDC, Google I.O., Microsoft Create or Ignite or whatever, Hmm. are a lot easier to put online and do with, you know, um, webinars and and Zoom conferences or whatever. Yes. Than certain other things, as we all joked. You know, the Geneva car uh, show was pulled because you can't really virtualize that. No. People go no. there to actually sit in cars and run their hands lustfully over the 
bodywork and um, indeed that you can't really do that anyway in a virtual space i wanted there to keep go. the elephant in the room short and unfortunately the elephant has turned out to be quite tall so let's let's put the elephant away um and let indeed. us move into other follow-ups because we're still in the follow-up section folks um throttle gate or battery gate or whatever stupid name we're giving it uh, continues to rumble on obviously all those court cases were filed about the same time and therefore, they all seem to be coming to fruition at about the same time. We talked about a few of them last month, and now we get to talk about America and Brazil. And it's a very mixed story. So in America, Apple have agreed to a settlement in which they admit no wrongdoing and will pay US customers an estimated $25 a piece for slowing down their phone. Uh, meanwhile... Brazil have ruled in favour of Apple, basically saying, no, Apple did all the right things and they were stopping the phones from dying. That's a good thing. Stop whining. Uh, so obviously I agree with the Brazilian court and so be it. We've, we've <laughs> yeah, got over this quite a bit. Um, Apple were attempting to invalidate the patent or patent at the root of the massive $1.1 billion judgment against them and Broadcom that we talked about in last month's show. They have not succeeded. That's that's the bottom line. Um, the expectation is that Apple will appeal the not succeeding at quashing the patent. Um, so we shall see how that pans out. Uh, Apple had applied for the Apple Watch to be exempted from US tariffs on imports from China. And uh, Apple got the green light on that. So Apple Watch is not or has been exempted from tariffs, which is good. And uh, Apple continues to slowly and incrementally improve Apple Card. Uh, so in iOS 13.4, you're going to get more detailed information on the purchases you make of Apple services. Um, this is something I wish they would give to regular non-Apple Card customers too. But basically, they're going to see more detail about what those Apple charges are. And also, they've updated their agreements with Goldman Sachs uh, so that... Goldman Sachs are going to have more information available to them when it comes to making credit uh, scores for people. And the hope is that this will get rid of the odd-looking credit judgments being made against people by Goldman Sachs that we talked about a few months ago. Uh, it, hopefully it will make for better, more sane rates for people who apply for Apple Card. Fairer, I think, is what they're going for there. Yeah, Um a short spin-off from that, I saw a story um, which was written in a rather twee manner. Okay. Um, criticize, yes, criticising Apple, saying um, because they have uh, now agreed to release more information to Goldman Sachs on, you know, Apple card customers, mm -hmm. um, they have uh, altered their privacy policy and if you wish to opt out of having more of your information given to Goldman Sachs, um, there is not a button that just says, I opt out. You have to actually send Apple an email saying, I do not wish to have any more of my information uh, you know, shared with Goldman Sachs. Um, I'm not going to get into the ins and outs, but if you are an Apple Card customer and for whatever reason you do not wish Apple to share more of your purchasing information with Goldman Sachs, uh, you have to actually go into the privacy policy and send, uh, click the link to send them an email to say so. There's not a, there's not an easy click here to opt out button. Uh, just something I thought I'd 
bring yeah, it to Yeah, if the only server. the US had some sort of law about privacy and stuff. Yeah. Mm, yeah, if only. Mm. Huh, really. Anyway, <laughs> two notable numbers I thought raised themselves high enough above the parapet to be worth mentioning. Um, the first was a study of the rate at which your shiny new pretty loses its value, depending on whether it's an iPhone shiny new pretty or a flagship Android shiny new pretty and um, precious even, just I can't even quote Tokyo anymore. <laughs> um, basically, your Android precious will lose its value twice as fast as your Apple precious. Um, so those flagship phones cost about the same to buy, um, but the Apple one will have twice as much value left after a few years as the Android one. Uh, one way alternative, that... or alternative way of looking at it is it, it will have a residual value twice as long. Yes, or the the way I more decided to try find a silver lining, which I thought was very clever. If you want to buy a second hand phone and you want a good price, buy an Android because they're cheaper. Yeah, well, there is that. Of course, uh, uh, my quick take on that, and I know we've got a lot to get through, so it is a quick take. I suspect, and this is merely my opinion. A lot of that is to do with the fact that if you've got an Apple iPhone, it will almost certainly continue to receive new OSs for probably five years. Yes. Yeah, you're you're dead right. That's exactly what it is to a large extent. And the hardware is just bloody robust. Yes. And if you buy an Android phone, your chances of getting more than a couple of years of updates are pretty slim. Indeed, as friend of the show, Alison Sheridan, discovered recently. There we go. Right. She she shed quite the rant on her podcast. Uh, <laughs> quite the rant. Okay. Uh, deservedly so, by the way. Uh, you know, mm. Anyway. Uh, the other one that sort of caught my eye is that uh, in the US, we have good numbers on smartphone sales. So the top five selling smartphone models in the US market are all iPhones. The iPhone XR, the iPhone 11, the iPhone 8, the iPhone 11 Pro Max, and the iPhone XS Max, or XS Max. They are the most popular smartphones in the US. That's kind of impressive to sweep the top five. Oh, I think so, yeah. Very much so. Okay, uh, a quick trip to legal latest. Uh, One story here that I thought was worthy of talking about in such a busy month's worth of news. Um... Apple are not having a good time in France. Uh, the French were on the wrong side of the Throttlegate issue, but they probably are on the right side of this issue. Uh, Apple have been fined a record-breaking 1.1 million euro for antitrust violations in France. Basically, the French Competition Authority uh, state that Apple entered into agreements with their two biggest wholesalers in France uh, that they wouldn't compete with each other and that the wholesalers wouldn't undercut Apple's own prices. Uh, the two wholesalers, are TechData and Ingram Micro, were also fined, but because they're much smaller companies, the court basically fined them based on how much it would hurt rather than a total dollar amount or euro amount. So they were fined 76 million and 63 million, respectively, whereas because Apple is huge, they were fined 1.1 billion. So that should be billion, not billion. <laughs> Don't update that in the show. Notes. I was going to say at the top there. I, I suspect your show notes should say that the top one is one point. I was going to say, yeah. Not- otherwise, there's pocket change. Um, <laughs> total pocket, pocket fluff. Change. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Sorry, that, I, mean, I will it, fix it, those show notes. That's quite embarrassing. Yeah. But even one point one billion is probably still 
yeah. it's not nothing, um, right? It's, not, it's in one it's country, nothing. right? It's not nothing. But, yeah, it's not nothing. But in Apple terms, it's it's, it's not going to kill them. It's a bit like oh uh, oh ow, a bit more than we expected. Never mind. There we go. Um, uh, actually, I suspect Tech Data and Ingram Micro are going to. Um, that's probably quite a lot of a quite a lot bigger sting for them. Seventy six and sixty three million um, is yeah. You know that might hurt them quite a lot more. It um, probably will. Yeah. However, that said, um, I agree with you. I think the French are on the right side here. I mean, let's face it: if Apple have told uh, their wholesalers not to compete with each other or themselves, uh, I might. That's a, that's a completely illegal, illegal non-compete cartel. That's price fit. Yeah, <laughs> it is. And Apple are like um, Apple try to keep as tight a rein as they feel they can get away with on their prices. And it's as a, as a consumer of Apple goods, it's it's very hard to find Apple stuff cheap. And Apple like it that way. And I'm not so fond. No, I'm fond of that. Yeah, that's um. They're very harsh on people allow you know anybody allowing any kind of discount, aren't they? Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. So this so is, there we go. This is right. exactly what the French government are like. We don't like this now. Apple insists that they're doing nothing that other companies in France don't do, and I don't live in France, so maybe that's true. Um, but it does seem it more than a tad dodgy to me. So anyway. It, it... It's on the it's on the wrong side of moral, shall we say? Yep, 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 yep. Um, okay, sorry, I'm fixing show notes in real time, which is distracting me because I'm male and I can't multitask. I probably shouldn't do that. Um, so, what have we got next? Apple HR and acquisition news. Um, Ruben Caballero, one of Apple's vice presidents of engineering, is leaving Apple to join Humane a company set up by two other former Apple employees. I guess they're up to something. Uh, Apple were briefly hiring for a Maps writer slash editor, which implies there's going to be some sort of editorial content somehow in Maps, which is interesting. Uh, And then Indoor AOR Navigation Specialist Dent Reality. What a wonderful name. uh, Are joining Apple's (laughs) (laughs) Indoor Maps program. So that is very interesting. But by Very far, so. I'm. Oh, sorry. I'm. Uh, I was going to say, I, I'm assuming they took their name from uh, Steve. Yeah, make a dent uh, on the Steve's universe quote. kind of thing, isn't it? Yeah, it's it, what a great name yeah, for if an you're not going to put a dent in the universe. You're not going to put a dent in reality. Why are you bothering? Um, but yeah, what a brilliant name for an AR company, indeed. And of course, yeah, following up, as you say, they've uh, bought Dark Sky. Um, that that is the story of the month, as far as I'm concerned, in terms of acquisitions. That is a huge. Maybe I'm being too too self censored, but I am a massive Dark Sky user because it is the only reliable hyperlocal weather I have yet found, and it, it's. I mean, it's brilliant. Uh, I mean, I I try to get a lot of exercise, which is getting ever harder these days. But uh, you know, it, with the Irish climate. The ability to know when I can find my hour for my lunchtime walk is is most valuable. So if I were an Android user, I'd be mighty cranky because the Android app is going away. Um, 
other app, a lot of apps actually use the Dark Skies API as their data source. And that's also going away, but not nearly as quickly. The Android app is stopping this summer, whereas the API apps on iOS get to keep using the data until the end of next year. So at least for carrot weather and the likes, that's not too bad. But I, as an iOS user, I am very curious to hear what Apple are going to do with that wonderful data. So it Indeed. Would, it would be great if that could be built into, deeply integrated into the OS so that Siri was aware of it. Um, could could get really quite interesting. This, uh, this I know this is a, it's kind of a callback. Mm-hmm. Um, um, in in the top stories about COVID nineteen, um, you we talked about um, Apple adding a whole load of stuff to Siri, and um, there's an app they brought out an app, and they've put stuff on their website and so on. Yeah. Um, I I just like to mention I'm not sure about Siri. But the COVID-19, the Apple COVID-19 app appears to be US only because it's um, CDC related. That would make Um, some sense. Yeah, you can get uh, the Apple COVID-19 screening via um, Apple's website, even here in the UK, because I've checked. Yeah, I played Um, it. Yeah, Siri, I haven't checked. Nobody at the time that we recorded uh, our, you know, live, because again, the information was linked to the CDC. So mm-hmm. nobody was sure if here in the UK or whatever to get, um, if you have access to that or whether they would be linking the, the, the Siri to, you know, uh, local government information just for what that's worth. Well, we know they are doing a lot of local government linking, right? Because the story was that on the Apple, on the UK and French websites, it's actually UK or UK and French government information being linked to. So they're, they're it definitely is are doing it is indeed. with governments. But I just point out some of, some of the things that are being reported widely on the web, on the web about Apple and, and COVID-19 information are not necessarily available outside of the US. That's all. That's worth mentioning. And I guess there's a, there's a lot of national stuff. Yeah. Okay. So um, Apple original content. So the way I've decided to deal with this, since this is not an entertainment show, is I'm simply going to tell you the news. So uh, Apple TV plus exec Michelle Mendovitz leaves for 20th Century Fox. That's not good for Apple. Uh, criticism of American Dirt book review causes Oprah to rethink her March pick for Oprah's book club. Apple finally premieres The Banker in Tennessee. Apple announces International Women's Day collection on Apple TV. Apple TV Plus will not be attending South by Southwest over coronavirus concerns, shock and or horror. Steven Spielberg's Amazing Stories is now available on Apple TV Plus. Apple renews the award-winning Truth Be Told for a second series. Uh, The Banker is available on Apple TV Plus. So as well as having premiered, it's now on Apple TV Plus. Uh, and Apple TV Plus are bringing a British comedy trying, which is going to arrive in May, and there's a trailer of it out. That's actually BBC produced, I believe. So that looks interesting. Oh, interesting. And mm-hmm. finally, an interesting story caught my eye that's not technically news. It's sort of more analysis, but um, P- 
people did a, an analysis of the gap between what people think uh, and what critics think about different content from different providers. And Apple TV Plus gets very well reviewed on Rotten Tomatoes, so that by human beings who actually watch stuff are very positive. Uh, but it tends to get panned by critics, and there is no other provider has as wide of a gap between how much the people like it and how little the critics like it. So I don't know what the anti-Apple bias of the critics is, but it's interesting that Apple's is the biggest. That's very, very interesting. Um, I mean, I, I obviously, I do have Apple TV Plus because my daughter got a new phone, so we got the free... Free year. Yeah. Um, I haven't watched a lot. My favourite show happens to be The Ghostwriter, which is actually a, a kid's show. Um I did watch Mythic Quest, but I just that was very funny. Um, if you've ever played kind of massive multiplayer online games, that's very funny. Uh, um, and the amazing stories, um, I can't was it three, four episodes now? Um, there were a few in there, yeah. I've watched, I've, I've watched those, and um, I've as a sci-fi and kind of sci-fi anthology watcher reader listener over the years they weren't terrible but none of them were particularly original or anything very special to me but there you go that's just my personal take on that yeah. As I but say, it's very interesting that the audience seem to like it and the critics don't there we go that's a very yeah. interesting metric it is. I'm wondering what they, why the entertainment industry are cranky at Apple, but it's curious. Anyway, we are not an entertainment show, so I'm going to finally move us into our main stories. We have four main stories this month. Uh, we Unfortunately, we start off with some far from positive news uh, about uh, forced labor in China. Then we move on to a whole bunch of shiny hardware. And then we move on to an extremely unexpected new feature for iPadOS. And finally, we end with a story that literally broke today as we record. So we're recording this on, what is it, the 2nd of April? Yes, it's the 2nd of April today. I didn't want to record on April 1st. I just thought that would be problematic. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Apple and Amazon have struck a very interesting deal where Amazon Prime customers can now buy stuff straight within uh, Apple's uh, the apps on Apple's platform. So that's our fourth story, which just broke today. So quite a bit for us to get through here. So let's... Start with the first of our main stories, forced Uyghur labour. So the Australian Strategic Policy Institute, or ASPI, ASPI, uh, have been investigating the supply chains of large corporations. Now, this is not an Apple-only thing. Um, th this involves lots of companies, major <laughs> brands. I'm I'm sure I'm pretty sure it's it's not really even related to brands, is it? It's related to large manufacturing. It's related to being in China. China. It's, it's really what it's related to. So, the, the, this is like if you make an iPhone, there are many, many parts come from many, many places, um, and some of those places are in China. So that's the supply chain. So all of those bits that come together to finally be assembled in one of those massive plants in China. The, 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 you know, there's a lot more going on before it gets there, and a, a chunk of that supply chain is within China, and it has you know there's good evidence that some of the companies that make up those supply chains for lots and lots of parts that go to lots and lots of places, including Apple, 
is made in factories where Uyghurs have been forced to work. Officially, they're they're being paid and they're working there and it's all above board. But in practice, these people are basically living in prison camps. They get paid in tokens they can only spend in government shops and they are forced to live in dorms where they are constantly monitored and there are slogans everywhere telling them to be loyal or else. It it makes for deeply uncomfortable reading. Deeply. Yes, it's that that's all very, very grim, isn't it? It's um But then I guess there's nothing amazingly new about finding that the communist regime is quite happy to take people that they don't like and put them into, you know, re-education camps or, you know, they like, uh, you know, it's <laughs> cultural revolution. Um, yeah, I mean, arguably, the purge, force... whatever. It's it's all very nineteen eighty four. Um, it's very nineteen eighty four. It's deeply, deeply unpleasant, and um, unfortunately, it, it. I guess something we we all kind of hoped that modern China had moved away from. Um, but I guess the communist regimes are still prone to. We don't like you because we don't think you agree with us and uh, we're quite happy to press you quite horribly. I mean, that is ultimately at the root um, and no small dose of Islamophobia there because the, the Uyghurs are a Muslim uh, yeah, minority within China. are a Muslim. That is also true. Um, and, you know, all, yeah. now, it, it's deeply unpleasant. Yeah. What you can say is that one of the reasons it's easy to know that Apple is caught up in this is because Apple are extremely transparent about their supply chain, or certainly comparatively transparent might be might be a better way to put it. Um, I'm sure that the, the the various charities and NGOs working in the field wish Apple were even more transparent because there's no such thing as too transparent from their point of view. But compared to the average corporation, Apple issue a uh, transparency report every year where they list out all of their suppliers and that way when dodgy stuff is found you can trace back to whether or not apple are involved and in a lot of places it's much much harder to do that so i think apple are doing their best to shine a disinfectant light on these things and one would hope that this report will trigger some sort of action although there's no explicit sign of that yet now apple have pointed out that they proactively interview workers in the various factories at random when their managers are not present, which is very important. Um, But if you're living in what is effectively a brainwashing camp, I don't think simply not having your managers present is going to be quite enough for Apple's interviewers to get an honest answer. Yeah, I'm, I'm afraid in a situation like that, realistically, it's going to be almost impossible, isn't it? Because it's it's one of those if we get even a whiff <clears throat> that you said anything we don't agree with, uh, you might fall down the stairs and have an accident in the lift. Um, right, and you don't even have to make the threat if the people are so scared of you that it takes care of itself. Yeah. If you well, in an oppressive enough ad- ad- atmosphere, and it just takes care of itself. So I don't know. What, I don't know how what Apple could do to get people's honest, you know, honest answers. No. Um, it's it's very difficult. Short of having special Apple, you know, secret force <laughs> command 
batch people from factories and export them to somewhere outside of China, and which isn't really going to happen, is it? I'm sorry, that's no. you know, you're in the you're in the land of Hollywood family there. Well, mm. Apple do work with NGOs and stuff, and they are signed up to was it the Chinese Labour Alliance or something? So maybe, oh yeah, so maybe the maybe what we need basically is more reports like this, which make it easy for no, which make it easier for Apple to push back. Yes, I yeah, I, I 100% agree with that. I think, um, you know, saying, I mean, this one here, it says Nike and Apple are among dozens of major brands implicated in in report on forced labor. As you say, if it's further back down the supply chain, if, you, if you're talking about people producing raw materials or, you know, stacking crates or whatever, hmm. that's, it's much more difficult for the actual final companies to track that. I mean, it, it's very probably easy, -er, as you say, for Apple to go into Foxconn, to go and speak to workers on the factory floor, to visit the, the dorms, to meet people in the cafeterias and say, you know, are you happy? Did you come here for your own free will? Do you get well paid? Do you get proper breaks? Blah, 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 blah. But it's very difficult for Apple to all the way back down to I don't know the the company that ships the raw steel that goes to the mill to make the screws that you know what I mean these absolutely and so I mean this isn't even going that deep into the supply chain because we already know we have problems with certain um, minerals and stuff like cobalt. As particularly, it's almost impossible exactly. to get ethical cobalt on planet Earth because it comes from countries that are just, you know, nature has put it in countries that are not conducive to ethics. Um, and in this case, Apple is saying that they actually are going to all of these suppliers and they are interviewing workers. But like I say, that's it's easy to fake that for a day when the Apple inspector is there. Mm. Yeah. You will say that everything is lovely or we will beat you into a pulp. Yeah. 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 Or even just the implication. Anyway, yeah, let, exactly. us, let us move on to our second story. New hardware from Apple. First up, a new 13-inch... Chinese. It's very Chinese. Very, 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 very Chinese. 13-inch um, Retina MacBook Airs have gotten some pretty serious TLC. Um the new ones that basically come with a new keyboard, so goodbye butterfly keyboard, hello shiny new magic keyboard. Uh, base storage has been increased to 256 gigs, performance has been boosted, and to top it all off, the price has been cut. So the MacBook Air is yet again a 999 laptop, or 899 for students if you're in the US. And... According to benchmarks, it's 75% faster. iFixit say it's easier to repair than its predecessors. And as far as I can make out, everyone is delighted with it. It, it is getting very well reviewed. And from everything I can see, more laptop for less money. Yes, please. As I, yeah, very much. Um, uh, obviously, we did talk about this. Everybody talked about it when it happened. I, my view was this is the first MacBook Air in several years, which is probably enough of a laptop for your average user. Um, this, this is like the, the MacBook very, Adorable for this generation, I think. It is. the. I mean, the 
admittedly the the base you know the the eight nine nine slash nine 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 uh for ordinary people model is only an i3 that's plenty um, like is... it's benchmarking just fine yeah but for people like me who have you know traditionally gone for a um i mean i've got a macbook pro 2013 um but i start looking at that i say 256 if you go for the i5 you're Still in the you know sub twelve hundred dollars, which you know, depending. All right, the pounds crashed, so whatever. But you know, twelve hundred. Let's say twelve hundred pounds, twelve hundred dollars. Um, you are looking at machine. It's got now got a Retina screen. It's now got the butterfly keyboard. Uh, fabulous. Yeah. And like I say, I'm so the look. The entry level has come at a nice low price, and I think that entry level is fine for an awful, awful lot of people. Like, an awful, awful lot of people oh, are yeah. absolutely fine. But the thing is, if you go I'm the other way, right, if you go and soup the thing up, you end up with a very, very slim, very light device that competes quite well with the low-end MacBook Pro. Yes. Again, we've, we've, got, the, we've got the sliding scale. Obviously, you know, my machine, as I say, is a 2013 machine. Hmm. Right, but it's going to get rings for many years. Place. Well, yeah, of course it is. But for many years, whenever I considered uh, replacing my machine, I looked at the MacBook Air, and it was like, yeah, nope. eh, we've got a non-retina screen, we've got big, fat, horrible bezels, you know, which ah, back yeah, in the day nobody cared I'm about. Done with bezels. <laughs> yeah, you know, nobody cared about back in the day. But you were looking at machines with like you know inch thick aluminium bezels and um non-retina screen and but now and then of course obviously they went on to the the uh, original retina but then you're talking about a butterfly keyboard and how well did it compare to a slightly older um macbook pro now you're looking at a, a macbook air which i think has been restored to its proper position as the the probably the best choice mac for most people yeah, it's the default Mac, I think. I think you're right. I think that that's its role now. It is the default Mac. Most people who want a Mac will find a MacBook Air that is perfect for them. Maybe maybe it's a mid-range one. Yeah. Maybe it's a low-range one. Maybe it's a high-range one. And it, even well, if you're I mean, into fairly pro stuff, if you value lightness, then it is worth getting spending the extra to oomph up an Air and still have a light, portable laptop but of course, as soon as you get into a stage where you want lots of ports, well, then you're a pro pro and you should be looking at the MacBook Pro line. And they, there's no gap. Exactly. There's, no, there's no massive gaping hole between those product lines. Like they really are a continuum that flow one into the other. Which is how it should be. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, you know, it, it should. I, I know in the past I've complained about, um, you know, on my show and elsewhere, I've complained about a situation where Apple's laptop line was muddy there was uh, especially when they had the, you know they had the macbook air the macbook the macbook pro and it was all kind of overlapping and it was muddy and not clear well, okay and logically now, right uh, always... the, the macbook adorable was in its essence an air it was thinner than the air it was lighter than the air it was, in terms of the role it filled and aired, just for various silly marketing reasons, they gave it a different name. But 
to me, the exactly. MacBook Air was the 12 inch MacBook adorable. Uh, it was. It, I think the point is, and I think we talked about this back back at the time, but the, the mm. point is we both agreed that realistically, as Steve, you know, I know Steve famously said, you know, there's it's a it, it's a four, four it, quarters. Yeah. But I think now most people will agree you could probably go to six. It's, it's know, a, okay. It is, it, yeah, it it's be, bigger. But it, it it doesn't matter. It should be good, better, best. And the good, better, best should slide from, if you like, intro Mac, decent Mac, slightly better Mac, and then move into the basic Pro Mac, medium Pro Mac, top Pro Mac, you know, and that price should slide nicely from $199 or $899 at the bottom end all the way up to however much money you want to spend. And if, you, say, if you want sky, to spend... The sky's the limit, throw 64 gigs around limit, me. Yeah. And... <laughs> yeah, blah, blah, blah. But uh, I've always thought it should work that that the basic... Mac uh, 999 should not be something that you're looking at and wincing. You should be able to look at that and go, that's a perfectly good machine. But if I can another $300 at it, I can buy a better machine and then, you know, a better machine again. And then I step up to the next level where probably about on par with the best of the consumer machines, but it's got a few extra bells and whistles and so on. And it should be a nice ladder. It should be an obvious ladder for consumers. You don't want this muddy overlapping. Hmm. I'm not of... sure I agree with that because I actually think that, and there is a strong overlap here. One of the big criticisms has been that there is now a very strong overlap between the high end of the Retina MacBook Air and the low end of the MacBook Pros. And to me, that's not a problem. To me, that's a feature because you get to have, performance and lightness or more ports and not too expensive. So that's why that overlap makes sense to me. I I guess, but then again, with this new machine, the differentiation is clearer. Previously, it was... Oh, yeah, look, no, we're in complete agreement, right? The the MacBook didn't belong in that line. There should have been an Air and a Pro. And now there is. And the Mac, the Mac, the MacBook should really, you know, as you say, stupid marketing reasons. That MacBook should have been slid into the airline, but at the time they weren't updating the air, so they were quote yeah, unquote budget line. Um, philosophically, it was a MacBook Air. Always was. It was lightness first, lightness first, lightness first. Yes, it was. Anyway, I'm going to move us on Indeed. because we right. have lots more hardware to talk about here, and it's already five past eleven at night here. Um, a machine, <laughs> yeah. a machine which I adore, but which gets far too little TLC, has gotten far too little TLC. There is an update to the Mac Mini, double the storage, slightly better CPUs. That's all she wrote. Um, that, that, that's it, really. Not, nothing more to say. Well, no, not much more. Um, some people are saying they've doubled the storage and there's no change. A few people are saying there's a slight performance boost. I cannot, um, I have not been able to pin that down exactly. I believe they're slightly newer Intel chips, but I don't think they're particularly higher spec chips. I think they're just newer chips. And, oh, you know, no, no, so that means they're slightly more efficient, but not 
more specs. Yeah, I think, I think maybe they're maybe they're maybe they're you know less power using and no change in actual performance. It, it basically it's nothing dramatic. Has there happened. we go. The, the, I mean, getting no. you twice the storage for the same price is very useful, and that I would argue no. that's somewhat dramatic. Well, it's also, but... uh, and let's face it. Needed. You know, the, what was it? What they on? One hundred and twenty-eight. I mean, that was stint. Was it one hundred twenty-eight? It was. was. So there's nothing less than two fifty-six now. Well, good. Quite yes. right. I mean, one hundred twenty-eight is just taking the per- proverbial. Really. It, it rather is. It's rather. Move on. Is. Let's move. Yes. The new iPad Pro then is definitely um, the machine that really was the the, the star of this month's news. Um, it comes with a keyboard and trackpad, which I will park until our discussion about iPad OS 13.4 in a moment. So let's focus on the iPad Pro. So the two things that really stand out are that um, it, its chip is something we've never seen before. Everyone assumed that after the A12X from last year's iPad Pro, it would be the a 13x basically the a13 is what powers the new iphones therefore the a13x will be what powers the new ipads nope we're getting an a12z and z is one more than well it's not one more than xyz no it's not one more i don't understand where the z came from um well uh, here's something and and i i didn't come up with this i think it may well have been um i can't remember i think it had been gazmaz or it might have been um, David on the Tech Fan Show. But anyway, somebody pointed out that Z is the third axis on your graph. It's the 3D axis. Yes, the the out-of-the-page axis. Exactly. And obviously, the addition of a LiDAR scanner... Oh, very good. uh, (laughs) ...introduced all 3D concept into the iPad. So... Um, their postulation, uh, and I agree with it, is that the Z, the fact that it's, it's actually designed for 3D, yeah. Oh, I like that. To handle 3D rendering. Well, that, that is the first sensible explanation I've heard. I don't know if it's true, but I like it. Well, yeah, whether it's true or not, it works, doesn't it? It the works. Z-axis means 3D, and it's a, it's all about 3D. All the, the stuff in this is about 3D, so. Yeah, uh, so basically, it had now emerged that the A12Z is basically the A12X with extra graphics cores enabled. And I presume the presence of a LiDAR scanner has something to do with why they need more graphics oomph. So a LiDAR scanner is basically... So AOR at the moment on an iPhone, a large extent it works by analysing images and figuring out what's going on, which is why you sort of have to wave your phone about a bit before it does the it properly detects surfaces and things. Well, LiDAR is like radar, only it uses light instead of radio waves. And it basically proactively scans a room to find the surfaces almost instantaneously. I mean, it's, it, you know, under the hood, it's not instantaneous, instantaneous. It's, you know, some milliseconds worth of stuff going on. But at the human timescale, it basically instantly it's knows the shape. Yeah, so... I mean, I mean, for, for the simplest way to describe what, LiDAR does other than it's like radar or bat bat echo detection. Um, sonar. It, yeah, it, it works in the same way as your um you know your your face ID camera. It it yes. sends out a load of beams of light, measures the time that they 
take to come back and from that detect the 3D space. Um, yeah. That's a simple yeah. and explanation. Obviously, this is a massive boon for AOR. Uh, like for augmented reality, the most important thing is to accurately and correctly know where all the surfaces are, so that you can draw things onto them and and model them and so forth. And so this and, opens up uh, a whole bunch and- of APIs for developers and stuff. And obviously, what everyone is assuming is that the iPad isn't really the logical place for lidar, but they want their developers working with lidar because the obvious place for lidar is on your glasses. Like, that is the absolute obvious place for all yes. of this technology. We, you don't want to launch I glasses guess, without apps. No. And the, the, I guess one of the... I guess one of the things that makes... I know it sounds counterintuitive, but in some ways, one of the reasons that the iPad is probably the best place to start with LiDAR is that you've got a bigger... You've got a bigger object. Yep. As in physical object which means you've got more room to mess about with putting chips and processors and cameras and, and things. a much bigger battery to the the battery drive volume them. in an ipad is much bigger so your sensor can be them. yeah and you've got a much bigger screen to allow a developer to understand what you know oh, if you yeah. okay I, i'm sure I, i'm sure I'm, I'm thinking no I, i'm thinking slightly sideways here but uh, not actually in final apps but if you imagine if you're a developer if you have a developer app maybe you could uh, an ipad screen would be a lot better way to see how it's actually sending you back you know as a wireframe or a sure whereas you know if you were trying to develop something and you're working on an iphone screen that's sufficient is it if you're if you've got a an iPad Pro or whatever that what nearly thirteen inches across and you you want to look at your actual raw lidar map you've got a screen that's big enough to actually see what's going on yeah that, that that's just my take yeah that's a, you know pure speculation on my part but it just it just seems like uh, if if you're talking about putting it in the hands of developers in order to develop what you can do with it a bigger screen makes more sense to me before yeah, you start yeah. scaling it down to a phone and maybe glasses and all the rest of it. Yeah. And smaller is harder. So you have the hardware reasons, you have the developer reasons. It, it, and also it's not a cheap product. So if the chip is a bit more expensive because you're not making it in volume yet, it doesn't matter because it's a product with a much bigger margin. So there's all sorts of reasons to experiment on the iPad pro, I think. Yeah, exactly. And then once you've, once you've got it working and, you know, people were able to develop it, then you can start talking about ramping it up and scaling it down size-wise and battery size and all these other things. Yeah. Because that's just yeah. how technology works, isn't it? You it know, is, exactly. You start off with a thing. Uh, you know, when we had, um, you know, when we had the uh, – I've forgotten his name horribly. Um, when we had uh, David on from the GPS, you know, he said <laughs> there's a picture of him wearing a GPS unit in uh, development. It's the size of a bloody, you know, Bergen yeah. 60 litre thing with a huge aerial on the top and cost a quarter of a million quid. And as he said in the show, you know, now laughingly, it goes in your watch and it costs a dollar. Yeah, not even the phone, in your watch. You know, that's, it yeah. is madness. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, just to yeah. say also, um, in terms of benchmarking, the A12Z is really not 
outperforming the A12X by very much. Um, there is six gigs of RAM in this new iPad, and according to some sources, there is a U U1 chip or U11 chip. It's interesting that one headline has sort of U1, the other one has a U11, um, and it does have Wi-Fi six. We're sure it has Wi-Fi six. Uh, we're not so sure about whether or not it has the ultra wideband. Um, and it also has an improved camera, which is I I, I personally can't see myself taking photographs with an iPod, but I know people enjoy doing it because the editing experience is so much better on an iPad than an iPhone. I just can't be that guy wandering around with an iPad <laughs> as a camera. I, I, I'm sorry, it is it, a failing uh, on my part. It's a bit, it, it, that's, that strikes me as, um, although people laugh at it, I understand it if you're into it. And it's a bit like the difference between using a 35 mil or uh, a traditional yeah. large format, you know, a five by four land camera, as it were. But that's um, a fair point. Yeah, fair point. How many people cart around a five by four land camera these days? Right, right, exactly. Okay. Um, the other, the other bits of hardware before we move on to the uh, the, the iOS thirteen point four fun. Um, they did Apple did also release Powerbeats four, which have fifteen hours of battery life, cost one hundred and forty nine dollars and are apparently a very good choice for people who want headphones they can exercise with and want all of Apple's fancy, better-than-Bluetooth cool technology stuff. Apple have also released new watch bands and iPhone cases, and for those who want some super oomph, you can now buy the Mac Pro Afterburner card as a separate purchase. So you can save up for years to buy a Mac Pro and then save up a few more years for your Afterburner card. Um, and given nice. the price of these things, I guess it's probably a good thing. So moving on to main story number three, iOS and iPadOS 13.4. In terms of iOS, really the only news is that iCloud folder sync we were promised last summer. Hey, it's finally arrived. Uh, But really the big news is in iPadOS 13.4. So this is an iPad only feature. Apple have given... Sorry, mate. I, I absolutely need to go and have a pee. Sorry. Well, you have a, you 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 go and do that, and I'll I'll talk through the, uh, the I'll describe what, and then you can slot back in because I'm not editing this. All right, mate. I don't do editing. All right. Sorry, mate. No, don't worry about it. I'll say I'll be here. So, dear listeners, um, what Apple have done is they have actually implemented mouse support and trackpad support well on iOS, not token, not like an accessibility feature like it was available sort of kind of in iOS 13.0 on, but they completely rethought what it means to be a pointing device on a touch-based interface. And really, you need to see it in action to understand it. So there's a link in the show notes to a video of Craig Federighi demonstrating it. Um, But when you're just sort of move, when you're not touching the screen, there is no floating pointer thing. There's just there's nothing there because you're not you're not using the trackpad, so there's there's nothing there, which is great. Gets out of your way. Once you do touch the trackpad, by default you get like a, a circle representing a large touch area, which is what you have on a touch interface. So it's basically a virtual finger. If you then move that virtual finger over a button or something, it expands to become the size of the clickable thing. So it highlights the whole clickable thing, very much like on the Apple TV, when you move to a clickable thing, the whole clickable thing gets highlighted. And then if you move over text, it morphs into a traditional uh, I-beam style 
text insertion point. So it behaves in a very iPad touch first way. And it is, I think, better suited to being a trackpad than a mouse. So a trackpad really does see because trackpads are touchy as well. But when you see it in action, it really is extremely well thought out. It's it's like they were slow to cut, copy, paste. But when they got there, they got there really well. Well, they were slow with trackpad support for their tablets. But you know something? I think they've done an extremely good job of this. So um, that that's sort of my feeling on it. And I'm by no means alone. Um... I think one of the funnest stories on it is from Wired. Who would have thought iPad cursor could be so much fun? Was the headline Wired chose, and that sort of sums up my feeling too. Uh, it's not just Apple who are in this game. Logitech have launched a keyboard case with trackpad, and they have lost a an iPad mouse from Logitech. And also Apple are releasing their own keyboard and trackpad, which is coming out in May, and it will work with the new iPad Pro and the 2018 iPad Pro as well. Now, at this stage, I've rather run out of things to say, and I was rather hoping that uh, Simon would be back by now. But I don't think you are back, are you, Simon? No. I am. Oh, you are. Brilliant. Sorry, I've just finished describing to the good listeners what Craig Federici showed in video. What What was your feeling? Have you seen the video? I have seen the video, and um, I, I'm not a, a an iPad user, and uh, although my wife, I did buy my wife the you know the basic iPad for mm-hmm. Christmas because her uh, previous one was getting a bit long in the tooth. They I think do she last had, uh, a long time. They are. I, I, I have been an iPad a, user since day since generation one, and I have not owned many iPads because they really do last. They do last. Um, I mean, we. I had uh, our first iPad was the iPad two, not an Air two, and iPad 2, mm. um, and we stretched that out to iOS 9, I think. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, and she had, a, 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 I think it was a mini, I can't remember if it was a mini 2 or 3, but anyway, her, her, you know, her iPad was getting very long in the two. So for Christmas, I bought her the, the new one, but she doesn't use um, a, a keyboard or anything with that. She just uses it in the traditional, you know, finger. The fingery sort of manner. way, yeah. Um, I did watch Craig's. Uh, I did watch Craig's demo. It looked it looked very interesting. Um, I was quite impressed with how they um, adapted it. Mm. I liked the way that it you know it snapped onto the touch targets and so on. Yeah, it's just um, well thought out, right? Um, it's 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 not a crude hack. Very, no, very much so. Um, I I wasn't quite. I, although I think it was very clever, I wasn't quite so taken with all the thing about look how precise the control of of spreadsheets and so on is. I was a bit like, okay, but you, I, I, right. I can sense that you've never tried. <laughs> I, I can sense you've never tried to do Excel on a touch device before. Because if you had, you would be uh, mightily impressed. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, I don't really do spreadsheets, but that's not my bag but um i don't do them by choice but i'm afraid i do them (laughs) i'm not gonna knock it i mean craig's demo showed that they'd worked very hard i think on making it work correctly Um, and i have no more i have no more experience to go on than it looked very slick let's put it that way what's been missing on the ipad um so the iPad and the Microsoft Surface have sort of been coming at the same problem from two very, very different sides. 
So what you really want in an ideal world is a device that's small and portable and easy to carry around and that can be a touch surface when you're in a sitting back position and can transition to being a usable traditional computer when you're in a sitting forward position. And the Surface is really good at the sitting forward, but it's quite compromised at the lean back experience. Uh, It's rather heavy compared to an iPad, and it's very much, yes, as a touch device, but it's kind of just plain old Windows, so it's very mousy and... It's I I you know I have regularly used surfaces because I'm always intrigued by that technology. But it's it's lean forward first and lean back second. And the iPad was the inverse, right? It was lean back first. You know, the finger was a first very, person. Most I people don't have a stylus. Yeah, don't have a yeah, keyboard. Very, no, they don't. Um, interestingly, when we uh, discussed this on my show at the weekend, uh, Ronnie Lutz. Um, said, and I I think I agreed with him, that Apple have come at this whole thing the right way round, as it were. Mm -hmm. I would agree with that. Let's start with the... Let's start with a finger, then we'll add a stylus, then we'll, you know, we, we, keyboard's always been available, but now we're starting to talk about trackpad support and full yeah. keyboard support and mouse support, whereas Microsoft took the opposite route. Yeah. I mean, I mean that was the point I was making, right? That they, they're, they're, they're trying yeah, they, to get to the ideal converged device, and they're each coming at it from the opposite side. They've both they've both come from opposite ends. Uh, the thing Microsoft is, Apple have Earth. arrived, right? I, with this device, I will say Apple have arrived at that converged device, and Microsoft are still en route. Um, I've not really had much experience of the Surface devices. People I speak to who use them say originally they were very much they had the problem of being windows put onto a tablet and the touch targets were too small and and blah 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 apparently from people who know more about these things than me they have you know they're going it's a bit like doctor who and uh river song they're going in opposite directions and aiming at the same finishing point um the Surface's strength has always been in the lean forward. So basically, it's a device that you spend 90% of the time with the keyboard attached, and every now and then you whip the keyboard off and use it as a tablet. Exactly. Whereas the iPad and, spends and the, 90% of its life without a keyboard attached. Exactly. Um, but from what I hear, they are both now getting into the end game, and they are actually both converging on the same point, which is a machine which can be used pretty much either way. Okay, from my experience, Microsoft are still en route. Microsoft have not arrived at that converged point. Well, you you probably know more about it than me. I've been very... I've I've had a very active interest in the Surface since Microsoft released the very first one. I go out of my way to get a hands-on with every new Surface that's announced. Um, I, I have been proactively watching that device and playing with that device and talking to owners. And I, I, I've been going out of my way to keep an eye on that device. And it to me, it's clear that Microsoft are not as converged as the iPad just became, right? And until this came out this week, Apple were nowhere near the middle either. But this to me is game-changing. This actually brings Apple oh, to yeah, the converged device. I, I, that I, that I don't have any 
doubt of um, because, you know, I watched that video. I've seen what people have said about it, and it appears to be a very much. Um, and, and on my show, so, you know, there was somebody who was saying, I, but you're trying to make that now you're trying to make the iPad into a computer and it's not a computer. But uh, Ronnie pointed out, yes, I think is. Apple are doing it. Yeah, but no, I don't think he meant it's not a computer. What he meant is it's not a it's not a Mac OS. Yeah, that's the bloody point. Yeah, 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 I know. Um, His concern um, was that if you try and turn the iPad into a laptop style device, are you, you know, are you um, somehow? changing its focus but um our consensus was in the end that no apple are going the right way because all these extra layers of complexity you know swipe over multitasking and uh, trackpad support mouse support all these these are all optional these are for people who want these things if you're like my wife yes if all you want to do is you don't you know um as ronnie pointed out they're all there if you want them, if you don't care about them, they do not affect the way your machine, your, you know, your your iPad works at all. You can still pick it up, tap on an app, swipe, scroll, do everything that you could do with every iPad since version one, and right. never care. You can about give the it, fact that you can add a keyboard or a mouse, or you can give which it to is, a two-year-old. You exactly. can still and give it to a two-year-old like the phone, with, and you cannot do that with a PC. I'm going to move us on, Simon, because I really wanted to be finished yes. by half past eleven, and that is we're failing miserably. Um, so I'm going to move <laughs> All us. All right, sorry. Going to move us on. So the big story that broke today is that if you are an Amazon Prime user, or even if you want to become an Amazon Prime user, you can now do so through their iOS or Apple TV app, which is a big departure, and. Now, Apple say they've had this program for years and there's just been like one person in the program or two people, Canal Plus from France and another company I've never heard of. Uh, And now Amazon Prime have all of a sudden marched into view. And the details are still coming out. This is very much a breaking story as we record. But what seems to be the case is that if you are an existing Amazon Prime user, you can sign in on your iOS device and you can buy stuff and the credit card processing is done by Amazon, not by Apple, which is, that's never been allowed before in an app. So there's no big, cut. Big, big, big. huge. In exchange, Amazon have had to do all of Apple's APIs, AirPlay 2, TV app support. So basically a full deep integration into tvOS and iOS is the price Amazon have or the price Amazon had to pay to be allowed to take all the money. And the other thing is if you are not an existing subscriber, if Apple are introducing you to Amazon, if Apple have arranged to help you become an Amazon Prime customer, then it's an iTunes subscription and Apple do get their cut. And that is very, very interesting way to find the middle ground. So if you're, if you're an Amazon user first and you're coming to iOS, then Apple don't get a cut. And you as an iOS user get all the features. And if you're an iOS user first, then Apple do get their cut because Apple introduced you to Amazon. Very interesting. Hmm. Very interesting. I wonder how that works for me then. 
Well, are you or are you not a current Amazon Prime subscriber? I am an Amazon Prime subscriber. Well, then you and get to the latest version of the app and you sign in and then you can click buy or whatever it is you want to buy. Via my Apple TV or... Via your Apple whatever. TV or your iPhone. None of this going to the web, clicking buy and then coming back to watch it on your device. No. All in one smooth hmm. experience. Nice. Very and, nice. Uh, very nice. And that's something I... I I suspect that a lot of legal wrangling has gone on for a long time over that. I have to admit. Yes. Yes, I think a somebody, lot of and, negotiation. And, and I suspect somebody somewhere, um, and, and this is not mocking, actually, for once, not sneering, somebody somewhere earned their pay on that one. Uh, somebody yeah. in the legal department should, I hope, have gone home with a very large bonus because that's a huge development. It is. Now, Apple are calling this, they're saying this their premium content providers, and there's three companies in there at the moment. But this implies that there is now a route for anyone else to go down the same, right? If this is a program that exists, well, then why can't other vendors choose to go the same route? So in exchange for giving you and I, Apple user, the wonderful deep AirPlay 2 Apple TV app integration that we want, they get to keep more money. I, you know, as a user, I really, really hope lots of people follow Amazon here. So we could, see, are we talking about maybe people like Disney or... Well, Disney um, would be great if they would. Now, Netflix would be the absolute best to do that from my oh, personal yes. point of view, but never going to happen because Netflix are mm, too big a player. Probably not. Probably not. Probably not. Amazon, excellent, um, because I already... I mean, I'm already a Netflix subscriber. I'm already an Amazon Prime subscriber. Um, I've got Apple TV Plus, obviously, free for the year. Uh, Disney Plus... Uh, right at the minute with the whole, you know, coronavirus and, and all that thing. I know it's not much money, but right at the moment, everything new is something you've got to worry about. Hmm. Um, I tried it also. I tried it for a free week. We did the free week. Um, okay. We're, we're, not, a, we're not a Disney week. podcast, Simon. We're, we're not. Podcast. No, no, we're not. No, sorry. Yeah, no, move on. Sorry. Yeah, no, what we want My is fault. the deep integration, Sorry. right? What we want is the fact we, we, that... Yeah, we were doing we dude. Yeah, because the whole point of the TV app is that it shouldn't matter where the bloody content comes from. You should have a single nice experience. Very and that only works the... if people buy into it. Now, Netflix aren't going to buy into it. But everyone else Apple can suck in makes my experience and your experience better. So I, I'm excited by this, as you can tell. It's a... Yes, yeah, very much. Because right at the mo- moment, I will be honest. Um, the app, the, the 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 TV app, in in itself, I very rarely go into it because mm. I've I know I've got all the because all the, I've got you know the BBC app, I've got the you know the ITV app, the Channel Four app, the blah blah blah. Um, and at the moment, it's actually easier to use them than it is to go into the Apple TV app. And Apple um, want to change that, and this is the kind of deal that brings them closer to achieving and that, that goal. And that is, that is the sort of deal which is going to make it work, indeed. Yeah. Okay, I am going to draw a line under our main stories there, and just before we wrap up the show, a few quick stories to get caught up on that also happened in March 2020. 
Um, Apple have tweaked a bunch of other OSs and softwares. Uh, they've rolled out a whole bunch of business support features, which has the people at, I think it's Jamf, were very excited by that one. Uh, iOS 13.4 enables third-party maps in CarPlay. Again, I know a lot of Apple, of Apple CarPlay users quite excited by that. iWork for Mac has been updated with iCloud folder sharing. Again, good. And Apple Music will now show you new music from the artists you follow in your library, which is also convenient. Uh, Apple have also tweaked their App Store rules and features. Developers can use push notifications for direct marketing, a.k.a. ads. This is not being seen as a positive development. The, the only teeny tiny silver lining is Apple's rules say that the users must have proactively opted in. Yeah. Right. Now, I... Yeah, well, I do have something to say about that because when we looked at this uh, when it happened a, a few weeks ago, um, when I dug into the kind of uh, background to this, it would appear that effectively Apple's original uh, thou shalt not use push notifications for, uh, you know, marketing. Mm. Um, however... There was almost no way to explicitly enforce this. Yeah, so, right. And ads have been marked. Like I have had apps use a push notification to tell me that they've updated another app or released yeah, a new yeah, app. That's exactly. marketing. Yeah. So effectively, um, it, it would appear that people who examined it and you know wrote pieces on it said it would appear that actually. It's not so much that Apple are allowing something that we don't like, but that what they're doing is by changing the wording, what they're saying is actually, although strictly speaking, we did not allow any marketing through push notifications, we have no way to monitor what push notifications are sending you. So if we say you can do it, but you have to get your user to opt in, what they're actually doing is kind of accepting the situation and then saying, because now if you have to opt in and you get things which are marketing, you can say to Apple, these people are sending me marketing and I didn't opt in. And then yeah. they can, Apple can say, pointy finger. So they tamed the Wild West. Yes, it's more a case of accepting the reality and saying, if we change the wording, we may be in a better position to police what actually happens than originally we said no, but there were ways people were getting around it and there was no way for us to actually. So let's accept reality, regulate it, put some manners on it and we'll all be better off. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's more a case of, can can we put a halter on this? Because. Well, regulation. You know, our moral stance is. Yeah, our moral stance is fine, but people were ignoring it, and there's actually nothing we can do to do anything. Well, about. By the so, way, for really good privacy reasons, right, we do not, do not, do not, do not, do not want Apple reading all the push notifications, because I get push notifications from all of my apps, and that, frankly, they're none of Apple's business what's in my push notifications. Exactly. And so uh, the other thing that came up was developers were saying, actually, how, how you know, nobody knows what's in a push notification, um, and unless developers actually start marking their own things some way by building their own wheel from scratch, saying this is a push notification which is marketing and this is a push notification which isn't, basically Apple is saying, okay, 
your users either have to opt into accepting marketing or they don't. And that way, if you market to people who haven't opted in, they can say to us, these people are sending me ads and I don't like it. Yeah, ultimately, um, I guess if the if the app store reviewers are reviewing the app and it markets at them and they haven't opted in, I guess that would be a black mark, to put it mildly. Anyway, I'm going to move us on because yeah. these are quick stories. Uh, quick, yes. The other, the other big change is that developers now have the option to make their apps available truly cross-platform. So universal versions of their app. You can now, as a developer, if you choose to, sell one copy of your app that will entitled a user to the Mac version, the iOS version, the iPadOS version, the watchOS version, and the tvOS version. One purchase, get your app everywhere. Good. Now, it's not automatic. The developers have to choose this option, but at least they can. So that is definite progress. Um, Apple... Apple have launched a repair program for blank screen issues affecting third generation iPad Air. If you have one of those and one of that happens, there you go. Apple says the MacBook Air with Retina can exhibit anti-reflective... Uh, no. <laughs> once, <laughs> once the stores reopen, of course. Well, no, you can do it all remotely by post, remember? Well, there yeah, are no Apple stores in Ireland and I can still send stuff back. A box arrives oh, right, okay. with the courier. I put the stuff in, give it back to the courier and I get yeah, a fixed yeah, device yeah, back. Within 48 yeah, hours fair sometimes. Enough, fair, enough. fair enough, fair enough, yeah. Uh, Apple says MacBook Air with retina display can exhibit anti-reflective coating issues, but it's unclear if users are eligible for free repairs. That that story has more developing to do. Hopefully we'll have an update on that next month. Um, the broke, the broke Friday, that story, I think. Yes, so, yeah. just, just, it's uh, very recent and it hasn't, it hasn't had time to mature. Um, so hopefully no. next month I'll be able to give you an update. Apple have released ProRes RAW for Windows in beta form, but that's kind of interesting that their high-end video codec is being released for Windows. I wouldn't have banked on that, but hey, presto, there it is. Uh, Google have brought their podcasts app to iOS, so this makes iPhones more appealing to people deep in the Google ecosystem. Dell have made their mobile Connect app work with iOS which amazes me that the APIs in iOS allow this kind of thing, but they very clearly do because here it is. Um, Dell have had Mobile Connect for Android for quite some time, but now they have Mobile Connect for your iPhone. So interesting. Uh, And finally, if you're in the US, Movies Anywhere will now allow you to share your iTunes movies with friends. So it's an interesting service where you can basically, a certain amount of movies that you own, you can share with someone else effectively by giving them a ticket to that movie for 72 hours uh, so it's kind of like we still have DRM and stuff but you can share like you would with a physical disc kind of nice actually so an iTunes on board with that is nice and then finally a happy story to end on because goodness knows we need one of those so there's a list of the greatest designs of modern times and uh, yes released by Fortune uh, who love lists and Apple did extremely well. Um, so they, they, you know, it's, it's probably not surprising, I guess, that they show up in a few of them. Um, oh, sugar, why does this summary not tell me what I want? Just tell me the Apple stuff. Oh, don't care about your cookies, Fortune. <laughs> Indeed. No, nor do I. Nor do I care about you know what, you know, yeah, all the rest of it. Go away. Oh, sure, I picked a very poor link to put in the show notes. So, okay, so 
the iPhone is number one, great, but Apple also made it in with stuff like the Mac and oh for God's sake, why can't I can't seem to click by this? Have you got a? Did you uh, manage to get the list open? Hang on, hang on. Uh, you give me the Mac, the Mac Observer, which links um, out to Fortune, and I can't get by the bloody cookie. Oh, does it? Oh dear! Oh dear! No, I did. I did have a link of the list uh, previously uh, myself, but no, that's not the right one, is it? That's that's um, no. But they they got five out of ten places, I think. Yeah, well, it's a list of a hundred, but they they did they got a whole well, bunch of their devices. Yeah, That's yeah. extremely annoying. Yeah, bugger. It's a bit. It's a bit like in my show. I managed to put the wrong link to one of the stories, which was exceedingly annoying. <laughs> which yeah. meant everybody was floundering when we came to discuss it because uh, they were all looking at the wrong story. There we go. Um, well, Apple did very well in that list. Uh, all I can say is look it look it up on the web, people. You'll find it. It's easily found, isn't I'm it? I'm desperately googling found. here. Apple Insider, <laughs> you people tend to have good links. Give me give me the skinny here. Ask, ask the duck. Ask the duck. Ask ask the duck? Yeah, what? ask the duck. Oh, duck duck go. Oh. Ah, yes. Okay, so in reverse <laughs> order. Yeah. Uh last of Apple's number sixty four, Apple Pay. Okay. okay. Uh, number 46, Apple Watch. Okay, you have more yeah. in agreement there. Number 26, iOS. Yeah, iOS is actually really well designed. Number 22, the App Store. It's hard to believe now, but App Stores were actually novel. And Apple really well, led the way. That is true. That is true. You know, we take it for granted now, but that's a sign of a good design, right? Um, yep. The iPod comes in at number 10, a well-deserved oh, number yeah. 10. Um, I invented the iPod. You might have heard of it. Yeah. <laughs> For those of you who've followed the fake Steve Jobs thing. Yeah, Second place, number two slot, the Macintosh. And Ooh. no surprise to anyone, the best designed product of the last of modern times is the iPhone. The iPhone. And really, there are phones before iPhone and there are phones after iPhone. Like, everyone copied. This is very clearly a case that that is a seminal design that completely changed an industry. So that is utterly deserved. It it is indeed. And as somebody uh, somebody said uh, to me the other day... uh, you know, BC now stands for before coronavirus and AD will stand for after the disease. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Although AD may be, gonna, I think there may be a large fuzzy period between BC and AD. <laughs> um, yeah. But there we go. Um, no. Yes, there, yeah, indeed. There is, there is before, before iPhone and after iPhone. That's, uh, yes. So I've just updated the show notes with the Apple Insider list and our listeners will not be subjected to the terribly useless Mac Observer list or link. So with that, let's <laughs> draw a line under this month's Apple News. Um, Simon, thank you for helping me to digest it all. Um, would you like to let the good listeners know where they can hear more of your musings, ponderings, etc.? Well, you can basically hear more of my nonsense over at the Essential Apple podcast. 
Uh, and if you want to listen to my ranting and raving, uh, some of which is tech and some of which is politics, uh, you can find me on the Twitters as at Serenak, and that's S-E-R-E-N-A-K. Excellent. Thank you very much, Simon. Um, as I have alluded to a few times, there are detailed show notes with all of the links that informed my thinking on this month's news. And because of COVID-19, it's a long, long show notes. But it's not just that. It's right links to all of the stuff we've talked about, uh, all of the different stories that, as I say, have formed my views on the matter. Uh, you find those at letstalk.ie. And while you're enjoying those copious show notes, you will also see that there are large blue buttons in the sidebar labeled support the show. I want to thank each and every one of you who has supported the show and who continues to support the show. It is a simple and plain fact that without your support, this show would not exist. On a point of principle, I explicitly don't want to do a podcast that advertiser supported. I want to be completely free to express my views and the views of my panel and so I have always said I will podcast as long as I can do it without taking advertisers. And this podcast exists because you have made that dream a reality by supporting the show. So thank you very much. Um, in terms of practical financial support, there is the Patreon. You pledge a certain small dollar amount. And every time I put a show out, that amount will get taken from you. Uh, there are two shows a month, one Apple, one photography. So if you'd like to give me $2 a month, pledge $1 per show, you get the idea. There's also a PayPal button, which is an effective way to make one-off larger donations. Um, and the way I sort of work it is the regular bills get paid for at the Patreon and the non-recurring things like new software, new hardware, that comes out of the PayPal money. And really, the we're, we're at the sort of the case where I... The show is pretty much, it's not making a profit, which is also not what I want, uh, but it's, you know, it's breaking even. And from time to time, I can splash out on, you know, new mic, new boom arm, some shiny new software. And that's entirely down to you guys. So thank you. Uh, there are also affiliate links for people who like, you know, nerdy things like servers. There is DigitalOcean. And for people who need practical things like domain names, there is Hover.com. Uh, and then also I want to say thank you to everyone who supports the show in all of the other ways. And those other ways are equally as valuable. Just simply telling your friends, reviewing the show, rating it in your podcatcher of choice. All of that really helps because the more you spread the news, the more people listen to the show. The more people listen to the show, the more people can contribute in the practical ways. So it all helps and I appreciate it all. Anyway, I've prattled on for long enough. All of this at letstashtalk.ie. I've been your host, Bart Bouchot, so you can find me at bartb.ie. And until next month, happy computing, and please, 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 stay safe. You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Hello everybody, this is Simon Parnell, the host of the Essential Apple Podcast, the show where we aim to take a wander around the week's news in Apple, news, reviews, technology, security, and anything else that catches our eye. 
Plus, from time to time, we like to have guests from the industry who we get to tell us about their products, their services, their history, their philosophies, what uh, drives them, and of course, just what makes them tick. That, plus a bunch of friends talking about the news in Apple. What more could you possibly want? Check us out on the My Mac Podcasting Network 